0: Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns. So together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A. You all ask the questions and we answer. I'm joined with my Wonderful co host, Kristen Williams, physical therapist and lit senior teacher extraordinaire. Hey,
1: Kristen. Hey, Laura. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here as always.
0: I know this is such a fun gathering and we got so many great questions. So let's get started. A T eight fur, I think, because it eight fur, F R? How to prevent the upper traps from overfiring in down dog or with the arms overloaded? Hugs from France. I think that's France, might be Italy. I can't tell my colorblindness. I'm not colorblind. (laughs) I just can't tell. How to prevent upper traps. You want to go with that one first?
1: Yeah. I think my big thing with down dog, how I kind of like to shut them off a little bit is do what you taught us months, years ago, the shoulder scrub, just scrub, the shoulder blades up and down the back. You start firing the lower traps and you go upper trap, lower trap, upper trap, basically what you're doing. And then just sliding the shoulder blades down the back into kind of halfway in between and then broadening that space between the ears and the upper arms. I always, and then Debbie, Debbie always used a cue, create some real estate between your ears and your biceps, which I love that cue and I give it all the time. But it's that idea of then spreading the shoulder blades and it just, it shuts them up. It almost gives like an active stretch of the upper traps. That's how I go into my down dog, my dolphin, both to really get that upper trapezius, Quiet because if it's if it's on, you're gonna get that pinchiness. That's what I find. What about you?
0: Yeah, I, I love the scapula shrugs. I think that's a great way to go because for some people, for a lot of people, not everybody though, upper trapezius are weak. They could be lengthened and weak. So it's finding that sweet balance of getting them activated but not overly working so that you feel like you're you're pinching up there. The other thing that I would really focus on is your connection to the floor press into the roots of your fingers, especially that second finger, which corresponds to where the wrist joint, where we load our wrist joint, and then coming up and and lighting up your triceps and your biceps collectively to stabilize the humerus. Because if that's really stable, I think it's less likely that you're going to kind of pull the shoulders up too much. It's just a balance of grounding and then holding the scapula in place well. And make sure that you're paying attention to what's happening on the front side. So if you're somebody that's really sinking into your ribs, those scapula will slide up and they will kind of slide up and then just become way less active because they're just getting pressed down toward the chest wall because you're sinking your ribs. So think about the collective whole, and I think that will help a lot. And same thing when your arms are, yeah, well, you said arms are loaded. Same thing with getting into a handstand. Once you're up, it'll be the same feeling.
1: Yep. And to that point, I love that you pointed that out because I think when people are not weighting enough into the hands because they're putting too much into the feet, that is when they get that. It's, it's not that, it should be a balance. It should be hands and feet pretty equally weighted. Don't you feel? And that people, if they're too much in their feet, they're going into those triceps because they're pushing away. It's a, tri- it's a triangle. Yeah.
0: It's a triangle. Yeah. And that triangle is that you're grounded in your hands and the balls of your feet, or maybe your heels, but you don't have to have the heels down by any means. And then you're lifting up from the front body to get that expansiveness that you talk about. The shoulder blades are, are broad. They're not squishing mm-hmm. in. Yep. So it's a beautiful, wonderful pose when it, when it's balanced. It feels really lovely. And then nothing is getting overly worked.
1: No, I could stay there forever because of that.
0: Yeah. All right. Next question. A. Schaefer 8. Can you discuss your take on belly breathing, vagus nerve, pelvic floor pressure? Wow. This is this could be an entire podcast on its own, but I will briefly talk about it a little bit. So the vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve. Vagus means wandering. So it wanders from our brain stem down, passing by the esophagus. Its root is down, um, goes by the lungs and the heart. And then it ends up in the digestive organs where it's it's innervating them. So when we talk about like gut and rest and digest and all these kind of things, the vagus nerve is really helpful in firing the parasympathetic nervous response which I call the yin to the yang of the sympathetic nervous response which is our stress response, fight or flight. And so often when people are talking about relaxing getting in, getting into your belly breath, trying to stimulate that vagus nerve, that is a way of doing it. I mean, I always say that breathing, and when you talk about pelvic floor pressure, you have to go back to posture because everything that's inside the container of the core is impacted by your posture. And that's hugely the case with your breath. So if you want to practice a good full, robust breathing, you really have to get into an upright posture. Find that triple S. You can sit against a wall and get the skull, scapula, and sacrum there, and really find that length in your spine and the length in the rib cage so that you can take a very full breath. Belly breath is good, but I feel like a lot of times it is a reductionist view. People will cue you to push out your belly, and that is not helpful. Because when you push out your belly, you're losing the abdominal tone, the evenness of the tone that you get when you have, uh, when you're not pushing out into it. You don't want to suck your belly in when you're trying to breathe well. But if you actively bring your hands to your belly and push the belly out, you're creating a greater amount of a different type of pressure that can go down into the pelvic floor. So what I say is get into a good posture, and focus on lifting your ribs up with your inhale. Feel the ribs lift away from the bowl of the pelvis. Feel the breath move forward, up, sideways into the ribs and in back which is really challenging. And you can put your hands on the sides of your ribs. You can put them on the back of your rims. And you want to get that breath so much lifted that your collarbones elevate a little bit at the top. That's when you know you're getting into a full breath. It's not just the restricted shallow breathing that comes along with a more stress response, that, that sympathetic nervous response. A lot of people are shallow breathing. I believe that has a lot to do with posture. Again, you're not in a great position, anteriorly tilting, rounded shoulder, or whatever. Your breath is going to become restricted. When it becomes restricted and you have that asymmetrical difference in your spine, you also get it in your pelvis. So the the pressure, the changes of pressure internally will also be asymmetrical down into the pelvic floor. And that's where you can run into issues with breathing affecting the pelvic wall. So first, get into good posture Think about that wandering nerve. The wandering nerve needs to have space. It's going to become more uh, elicited or activated when you have a, a very symmetrical, full breath. Exhale fully all the way out. And then imagine that breath starting all the way at the bowl of the pelvis, way down there. Don't think about just pushing the belly out. Think about pulling the breath up, broadening your ribs on all sides, lifting your collarbone and then exhale fully. A good, very good exhale is going to help the inhale. You do that for maybe 10 breaths, 30 seconds. You will. They've shown that there's a change in your stress hormones, in the way you feel, you feel more relaxed. And P.S., if you're then going to take that into running or something that requires more aerobic you know, input, more oxygen... It's very helpful to practice it first in a a, like kind of a still position, but you want that same idea when you take it into motion. That you're holding your posture strong, and that you're making that breath like an accordion. It's big and you know really expansive, and then it you finish off and you exhale completely. So there's my very brief (laughs) but not so brief explanation.
1: (laughs) Can I just get a round of applause? Like that was sheer perfection. Like that's exactly. 100% right. Full breath. I hate the idea of belly breathing. Why cut it in half? Use the full breath. And if seated is hard for you, try it lying down because that will give you the support for the spine and get you into a triple S posture without having that workload on top. So start on your back and then go to seated. But otherwise, like literally I had to clap because that was fantastic.
0: Yeah. Thank you. And I agree. Like starting um, either on your back or against the wall, wherever you get some support, because that support not only is going to help you brain map your most you know optimal posture but it's going to also give you feedback for where you want that breath to be going so you can imagine the breath going and feel the press of the back ribs into the wall or into the floor so that you know you're really getting that full breath again belly breath breathing it's very much taught in a reductionist way and i think it actually has you know it can have a negative effect cuz then people don't know how to to breathe fully yeah Okay. Breathing. It's a great topic. All right. Stuart Breyer-Rawlings. We know Stuart. Yeah. Does the plyo work you incorporate have the same effect on cartilage as running? You want to
1: tackle that one? I think it does. I think, you know, any plyometric, any jumping, I mean, going down stairs can have the same pressure on your cartilage as running. Like it's, um, you know, hiking downhill or it's, it's a pressure thing. Yes, it is going to ramp up a little bit. But absolutely. It's all it's Wolf's Law. You know, we're going to respond to the stress put against us. And that's why we do it. We do mean every time I start doing it, I'm like, all right, we're building bones, we're building cartilage. I think so. I think it's also what I love about our plyo is it's varied. So it's not the same direction every time. So we're going side to side like our skater hops, or I was doing defensive slides in class yesterday, or box drills in different directions. So yes, the answer to that. I believe, is yes. That's what running is. It's controlled f- falling. So it's controlled plyometric hopping, yeah.
0: Yeah. Plyometric also is summoning power. And power is, you do have that in running, but a lot of people are not using it, right? They're kind of like control falling, but with the emphasis on falling. So the difference with plyo is it's, it's really creating the motor firing ability that we want, which is to summon the motor unit's Quickly to be able to fire. So that's a power move. Like you summon motor units to fire to get a muscle contraction, but how quickly you get them to fire is power. So that's why plyo is really good. It's getting all the different variables that we need for really good motor control and motor firing. This brings up another topic, which was asked to me on a direct message, and I said I would. I would address it in a podcast, but it's similar because this woman has had an ACL injury and she was wondering, like, is it okay to do things if I don't have some of the you know, articular structures in there? And what I said was with anything, whether it's you had some cartilage damage or you have a ligamentous damage, more core is always important because we load the joints, we're going to make them stronger by loading them, but we want the counter of the load so with gravity pressing down and the bones pressing into the cartilage or ligaments, we want to counter that with really good core work. So really learning again how to hold your posture, how to hold summon the entire core to give that counter stability for the for the downward pressure that we'll be getting and running or with plyo. All right, let's take another question here. Patrice Seiko, any advice for tabletop swings? I can do an L-sit and tabletop, but I can't pass my hips through my arms. So what she's referring to is when you, from a seated position, if you put your hands down under your shoulders and you lift your hips, that's what we call table. And the table swings are when you go from that position and pull your pelvis back through your arms. And so it's similar to an L-sit, but your feet are on the ground. Now, if you can do an L-sit, but you have a hard time with table, I think you're the opposite of most people. But there could be a couple things that, that would be going on. One is that you, you have to pull your femurs into the pelvis to really get this space instead of just thinking down with the hands. So as you pull the pelvis back, feel like you're pulling your thigh bones up into the pelvis and suction them there. That's going into that iliacus and the deep deep core abdominals as well. And that that should help a lot. If you have some kind of tautness or tension around the sacrum low back, there could be some resistance to that. So that would be my recommendation. Do you have another one?
1: Yeah, and I I'll, I definitely bring this to the scapula. You know how much scapular mobility do you have? Because for me, that is a ton of scapular depression. It's 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 we're using I mean, you're depressing the scapula and the humerus. So it's lats, it's lower trapezius, where you're getting that lift. So it sounds like if you have an L sit, you have the hamstring flexibility. I would say the other recommendation, because I'm a non hamstring person, is to keep the knees bent so you give a little. You're not having that. You're pulling the hamstring is pulling you. Down, if you will. But so keep the knees bent if you don't have the hamstring length for everybody else out there who can't do an L sit. And then really work on, you know, try it with blocks and try some shoulder shrugs in a seated. We were just talking about this with the down dog. Do that in seated where the elbows are locked and you're just depressing and elevating the scapula to see how that moves and how you can create the space. Because that's what I think a lot of it is too. To your point, there's the lift from below, but there's also the, the, the depression from above that gets that clearing. And to be honest, I've got super long arms. I'm built. It's easy. If you're someone who has shorter arms, it's going to be harder for you.
0: Period. Yeah, short arms and a long waist long, or something long like torso. that. yep. Yeah, yeah, that would be harder. So I would say, yeah, make it a little bit easier by bending your knees. And like Kristen said, I think that's a great cue. Focus on what the scapula is doing. Pressing down, like Sue, so from the downward action, you're pu- then pull those thigh bones back and see see if that helps. I love that move though. I do too. It's so fun. Okay, so we have Lake Endeavor and Lake Endeavor. Any thoughts about starting PT through a telehealth without a physical exam first?
1: This has been eye-opening how much we can do virtually. I've done a lot of private work with people since the pandemic and not being in the clinic and then moving. I've, ac- I've been very surprised. However, I think you have to have someone who, there have been people where I've said, this is what I think, but I, you need to have someone get their hands on you. Like, We can do as much as possible watching you move. That tells a lot. We have to see you move. We have to see you, how you're walking, how you're carrying yourself, but not being able to get our hands on you and feel what the soft tissues are doing, that's a detriment in some cases. So I would say I've been able to help 90% of the people I've done privates with just by watching them move, giving them exercises, addressing things that way. But there have been those 10% who I've said, you need to go have someone get their hands on you. Manual therapy is hugely important in certain instances. So I think it depends. I would give it a shot because it's, it's, it's pretty amazing what we can do just by the power of observation.
0: I totally agree. I mean, I've been doing virtual PT for many years. I would say about the same thing. About 90% of the time, it's really effective. And then there's those few cases, like even yesterday. So Greg, my media camera guy, had woken up the day before and said, "My ne- something's up with my neck. I'm having sharp pain. Dah, dah, dah. It continued. It continued. I was like, do you want me to look at it yesterday? And, you know, I kind of had an idea what it was. A lot of times we sleep weird and the cervical spine will rotate a little bit. And just that tiny bit of rotation, transverse process will pinch. The set joints aren't lined up and it's just a small manual movement. It doesn't even take much. And so I did that on him and it was like relieved, you know, and that's not something we can do virtually. I could try and guide him. He could. I could try and, you know, have him do some things that might kind of slip it back in but it would be challenging. But I would say for the most part, 90% same thing. It's observation because unless it's like a traumatic injury or something like Greg where it just happened kind of overnight, often it's it's a habitual, postural, mechanical imbalance that we can really see and observe without be, having to be right in the room with you.
1: Which is how we treat ourselves all the time. I mean, I, I don't ever yeah. go to see anybody and I treat myself with self-care, so...
0: Yeah: All right, last question. Yoga, BYB. What's your favorite part about teaching? I'll let you start first. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh with a smiley I, I love face te- she asked.: I know. <laughs> I know. I, I, love, I love teaching because I love educating. Like that's my number one thing. I love my practice, my flows are very much to educate people about the body, about how it moves. I do love the thematic stuff, too. That's just fun for me, but I love to educate people about their body. I love to encourage people about their movement. And then I love to heal people. Like I find joy in seeing the results. People are like, oh my gosh, they've done lit for X number of months and their back pain is gone. Their hip pain is gone. That's the same thing about physical therapy. You now, I, I, whenever I'm teaching or if I'm doing privates, I'll talk with people about, you know, make your yoga. Sometimes you need to make your yoga your, your therapy. Physical therapy it's also mental therapy for a lot of people, but by encouraging people to move well, it translates into their life. Educating people about this fascinating, majestical thing that is the human body is—it just brings. Look, I'm—you can probably hear me smiling in my voice because it truly—it's there. It, it brings me joy every single day.
0: Yes, I agree. I think. I think you know teaching is and i'm sure this applies to educators anywhere that really love what they're teaching and have passion about teaching is is a it's like a renewable source of joy you know i if i'm away from teaching which doesn't happen much but if i'm away from teaching i i there is something different it is it's like something feels like it's missing you know my own practice is great i take care of myself but to share the wisdom that we have gained over these years through our academic experience, through our clinical experience, through just witnessing so many thousands of people, it is just to to share that is, is, is actually such a privilege. And I really, I always feel it as a privilege. I feel like I'm, I feel like we are, we've talked about this before. We're doing our, this is our purpose. We found our path and to be doing it is, it's a privilege to have found it. And it just, yeah, it totally fires me up too. I feel like every, it's like falling in love over and over again. Yeah. And so I, that's what, you know, one reason I started the teacher training years back was when I would see teachers, obviously in yoga, this can happen in physical therapy too, by the way, who just oh, yeah. get stale, who find that like they've lost that juice. And I thought there should, really, there shouldn't be a time where you really lose that. It's, it's because it's our body, like you said, and it's, it's so, it's so, amazing and incredible. And yeah, so teaching is, teaching is yeah. life.
1: It really is. And that's the genius of the lit method, in my opinion, as a teacher, because I'm continuing to make up new flows all the time. I'm growing with my practice too, but then I don't get bored. I, I'm, I'm always sustained. I can go back and teach the same class and it feels new again, but I'll tweak it I can't imagine taking, or for that matter, taking a practice where it was the same thing every single time. I mean, how do you not get stale with that? So the, that's what I, where I gravitated towards the Lit Method first as a practitioner because it was different. So it stimulates the brain. But then as a teacher, I love sequencing, I love making up new stuff. I love it when you say, hey, can you, you know, let's make a series on this. I'm like, fired up you know? So like as a teacher. And so that inspires me too.
0: I agree. It's almost like we're checking off a lot of boxes. And one of them is our creativity. It's super, like, it feels like, you know, painting a photo or painting a picture or something. It's, this is our form of creativity. And it's, it is like, again, it's just, it fuels us over and over again. So speaking of lit, if you've loved, Lit, make sure you check out our classes on the Lit Daily. And if you love this podcast, we would be so happy if you subscribed, rate, and reviewed. And if you send us a screenshot of your review, we will send you a link to a free class that is not on the Lit Daily, which will be just for you. And you can email that screenshot to support at lityoga.com. Thank you so much, Kristen. As always, this was amazing. And thank you all for listening. And we are pulling for you.